Sanctifying the Family in Lent by the Light of Fatima, a conference given by David Rodriguez at the 2019 Army of Advocates Conference in Houston, Texas, hosted by the Fatima Center. I'd like to go ahead and just begin with a prayer. And we'll take this prayer from the angel of Fatima who revealed it to the three children, the Most Holy Trinity Prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, Amen. Most Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, I adore Thee profoundly, and I offer Thee the most precious body, blood, soul, and divinity of the same Jesus Christ, present in the tabernacles of the world, in reparation for all the sacrileges, outrages, and indifferences by which He Himself is offended. And by the infinite merits of his most sacred heart and the immaculate heart of Mary, I beg of thee the conversion of poor sinners. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Very glad to be here with you. As Kevin mentioned, my title is Sanctifying the Family in Lent by the Light of Fatima. And I must confess, it was a little intimidating when the Fatima Center first got in touch with me. Because the way they basically put it is they said, okay, we want you to give a talk so that people will have their best Lent ever. I said, that's a tall order. That's a lot of pressure. I'm not sure, you know, how to do that. Um, Because I guess the first thing that means is I have to have my best Lent ever. And I got to figure out how I'm going to have my best Lent ever without having actually done it and hope it's going to work and then share with you the fruit of my prayer and meditation. Uh, And maybe that's the overall topic to begin with that definitely, I think, what you put into your Lent is what you'll, you'll get out of it. So that's going to be very important, just your own personal effort. And I'll talk a little bit about that in a minute as well. But there are you know, three parts of this talk. And so when they first told me, how do you have the best Lent ever? I thought to myself, well, if I'm going to have the best Lent ever, I've got to try and do something a little different that I haven't really done in the past. And I'm going to this talk, a conference about Fatima. And so it seemed rather natural when I was at adoration to just start praying to our Lord kind of with Fatima in mind. And so I thought to myself, well, maybe that's where our Lord is asking me, uh, us to focus on. You know, what can the light of Fatima? Father just talked a lot about that brilliant, luminous, magnificent light of Fatima, that light that is God himself. What can the light of Fatima shed on us as Catholics to help us in our Lent? And, and that's really where this talk took off. And so those are the three parts. The light of Fatima, we'll look at that first how that connects us to Lent, and so we'll look a little bit at Catholic teaching on Lent, and then sanctifying the family, sort of the most important, concrete, practical part for many of us, most of us who might be fathers of families or mothers or children in families, or at least are related to a family, certainly. There's a very natural connection between Lent and Fatima. And if you reflect more on the Lenten message, I think that will become abundantly clear. So that's the first thing I'd like to show, just that connection between the two. There's a co-naturality. As Father had mentioned earlier, it's nice to piggyback after him because he touched on a lot of themes I want to bring up so I can go through them a little quicker. But Fatima is such a great light. It's really why we're having this conference. And it's why you are here because of this light of Fatima, Our Lady, always appearing in light. And when the seers would see things in God, it was in a great light. Fatima, I propose, is the great light that is shining upon our age, our very dark age, as other speakers have also mentioned. 
It really is the most important historical event that has happened in the last hundred plus years on the face of this earth. Uh, I hope everyone comes away with that commitment and that understanding. Uh, there is no war, political election, scientific invention, philosophical, literary, artistic movement, even movements in the church like the Second Vatican Council or the New Evangelization. None of these things can even compare to the message in the event of Fatima. And the reason is because Fatima is God shining his light on our age, showing us what it is that we need to do. So it all is stemming from Christ, who is the light of the world. We could even say that by saying Fatima is a great light for our times, we're saying that it is how Christ wants to be present and manifest himself in our time. His very words, his grace, his salvation, his very person. How is Christ making himself present to us in sort of a unique way, given our unique problems and circumstances of the 20th and 21st century, as opposed to previous centuries. I mean, if you study history, you right away know, back in the 1200s, the mendicant orders, the Dominicans and the Franciscans were a great answer of how Christ was making himself present to a world of Europe that was changing under the Crusades and new mercantilism and many other things like that. It's noon for the Angelus. Um, and if you look at the Protestant time of their revolution, the Jesuits were a particular answer that Christ was making. That's how Christ was making himself present to the world at that time. So now we don't have the Franciscans, the Dominicans, or the Jesuits as a particular answer. But we have Our Lady herself. Again, where Father talks about sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. We get Our Lady, and she brings us this message. And the message of Fatima begins with the Angel of Peace. So the year prior, 1916, to Our Lady appearing in 1917, is when the angel appears to the three shepherd children, the visionaries, three times. And he calls himself the Angel of Peace, also the Garden Angel of Portugal. Experts will tell us that's St. Michael, which already speaks volumes that St. Michael calls himself the Angel of Peace and comes in these times where the devil is spreading such darkness across the face of the earth. He tells them, pray with me, pray with me. And hopefully right there, you're already linking yourself up to Lent. Once the angel left, the children talk about how they were overwhelmed with a sense of the supernatural. Again, something very much lacking in our world, the supernatural. Father even began to touch a little bit upon that just with the new mass and the traditional mass. There is a great sense of the supernatural in our traditional Latin mass, and we should be filled with it. Anytime you're in the presence of God, you're thinking about God, that supernatural presence should sort of overwhelm you. And the children get that. And it's largely lacking from our dark age. Lent is a time to focus on the supernatural. So hopefully another connection there for you with Lent. And then we see how the seers needed a preparation before Our Lady could come and appear to them. So they need prepared, and the angel will come and teach them to pray and to do penance, preparing themselves. Can we think of three better words to describe Lent? Prayer and penance to prepare ourselves. I mean, that really is Lent. So I hope you see that co-naturality. Then the second time he appears, he finds the children playing. Maybe they're not carrying through their Lenten resolutions in our sense. You know, God will find us playing there in the third week of Lent when we ought to be focused in other ways. And he, he chastises them. He reprimands them. And he says, pray, pray a great deal. The hearts of Jesus and Mary have designs of mercy for you. See very clearly how Christ has chosen them 
But Christ has chosen each one of you. Christ has chosen you to be here at this conference. And Christ has chosen a particular path for you to follow this Lent, hopefully being illuminated by the light of Lent. The angel continues to tell them, offer up everything within your power as a sacrifice to the Lord in an act of reparation for the sins by which he is offended and of supplication for the conversion of sinners. Above all, accept and bear with submission the sufferings that our Lord may send you. And so just highlighting a few words there. Think about those words, sacrifice, reparation, conversion, suffering. All these words that the angel is bringing up definitely tie us into Lent. How many of us need conversion? We all need conversion. We certainly know that some members in our family need great conversions to come back to the faith, to join the Catholic Church, as Father Isaac was telling us about yesterday. And there are many, many sufferings that we all are enduring and experiencing. Father was just talking about how we will have to suffer if we're following the message of Fatima and we're trying to fight for our Lord in this time. The angel is really teaching them the value of sacrifice in all of this, how much it pleases God and how God will reward sacrifice with a conversion of sinners. So I think that's a big problem for us today for some reason. Certainly the world forgets it, but now it seems the church is forgetting it and perhaps we are forgetting it as well. The great, great value that is in sacrifice. Like how much do we really believe that? Uh, we can stand up here, I can stand up here and I can say that sacrifice has great value and because you're Catholics and you were taught the Catholic faith, you can probably say it as well. But sort of does it really go down into our very gut? And is it motivating and controlling, if you will, many of our actions throughout the day? Are we really seeing the value in sacrifice? Because there is a divine logic where every grace that we receive has to be won. It has to be paid for. It has to be purchased. And it's purchased through our sufferings, through our sacrifices. And so if we want the conversion of sinners, and we have a mother or a sister or a son, a daughter, whoever it might be, we've all got people that we want to see closer to God. We've got to be willing to do sacrifices for them. That's at the heart of the message of Fatima. The three children are offering themselves up for you know, the world and many people they don't know. In many ways, they were offering themselves up as victim souls for us, for you and for me. Perhaps the grace on why we're sitting here right now was won for us by St. Jacinta or St. Francisco. I don't know in God's you know, infinite wisdom how that works, but somebody is winning those graces. And we want to win graces for ourselves and for others that we love, but we have to do it through sacrifice. Okay, that's part of that Fatima message and that's certainly central to Lent. Now, Sister, Sister Lucia also confirmed in one of her interviews that the third secret of Fatima is essentially contained in the 8th through 13th chapters of the book of the Apocalypse, the last book of the Bible, the most difficult to read, the one that is most often misinterpreted. And so I'd like us to just take a look at the beginning of that, the beginning of chapter 8, one small passage. We certainly can't do an exegesis on the whole thing because that would take hours and hours and really longer. Uh, and then we'll just look at the very end and we'll just highlight a few things. Keeping in mind especially this concept of Lent, the light of Fatima, the penance and the sacrifice. Sacrifice. When I say sacrifice, hopefully everyone knows you immediately also link it to the holy sacrifice of the Mass. And the central rule. I mean, that's where we draw all our strength from. So when we say sacrifice, yes, it's all those little things we offer up, 
but also like the big sacrifice, the one eternal sacrifice which Christ offered on Calvary. So looking at chapter 8 of the book of the Apocalypse, St. John tells us, And when he, the Lamb, had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven, as it were for half an hour. Think about these words. You're a Catholic. There is silence for about half an hour. What does that make you think of? The holy sacrifice of the Mass. There's this eternal Mass going on in heaven. Hopefully those lights are going on. Already the sacrifice, already the Mass. St. John is getting a vision of the eternal Mass in heaven. And I saw seven angels standing in the presence of God. And there were given to them seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood before the altar having a golden censer. And there was given to him much incense that he should offer up the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which is before the throne of God. Hopefully, again, you're really making a lot of connections with the Mass, the altar, the incense, angels, offering up prayers. This is the liturgical language of the church. And the smoke of the incense of the prayers of the saints ascended up before God, from the hand of the angel, and the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and cast it on the earth. And there were thunders and voices and lightnings and a great earthquake. And the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound the trumpet. After this, it then goes on, as each angel sounds one of the trumpets, a great chastisement will fall upon the earth. Uh, and that's certainly very important to this message of Fatima. But I want you to just bear that one powerful image that we're sort of like at this mass, the sacrifice and the prayers and the sacrifices. Of the saints are going up to heaven. And in response, what God is telling the angel to do is to fill that incenser with fire from the altar and to cast it down upon the earth. Fire being cast upon the earth by an angel. If anyone knows the message of Fatima, I'll get to this in just a minute, but that sounds very much like the vision that was part of the third secret. So moving on to the beginning of chapter 14, where this particular passage ends that Sister Lucia refers us to. St. John continues, And I beheld, and lo, a lamb stood upon Mount Zion. Now obviously the lamb refers to our Lord, but again, it's specifically a liturgical title for Christ, because as a lamb, he is the sacrifice so when we're calling our Lord the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, we're all thinking Mass. And Mount Zion also is to point you to the Mass. That's what Mount Zion is supposed to point you to. Read the Psalms. And when you read Zion, think Calvary and the Mass. That is a powerful meaning that the fathers have given us for Mount Zion. And with him were 144,000, having his name and the name of his father written on their foreheads. Think here the sign of the cross. And they sung, as it were, a new canticle before the throne. And no man could say the canticle but those 144,000 who were purchased from the earth. These are they who are not defiled with women, for they are virgins. They follow the Lamb whithsoever he goeth. These were purchased from among men, the first fruits to God and to the Lamb. So who are these 144,000? A symbolic number, but who are they? Priests. Thank you. Someone has got their Catholic thinking cap on. These are priests. Virgins who have not defiled themselves with women. They follow the Lamb whithsoever He goes. Alter Christus. 
You've heard the priests talk about that. That's who they are. Another Christ. They go with him wherever he goes. The first fruits. Anytime you hear first fruits, that's Old Testament language for the sacrifice. And the priests were always pulled as the first fruits of the people. They're singing this new canticle that no one else can sing and that no one else can understand. Sounds a lot like the Eucharistic canon. The Roman canon by which our Lord's body and blood is being made present. Right? They're the ones who know it. They're the ones who can say it. So we've got a very priestly and sacrificial thing going on here in heaven that St. John is seeing. Very connected to the message of Fatima and the Mass. I probably won't go too much more into this because I've given other talks at conferences like this on that connection between Fatima and the Mass. I encourage you, we do have that on video on YouTube. You can see it or get the CDs as well. But then he continues, St. John sees this. And I saw another angel flying through the midst of heaven having the eternal gospel to preach unto them that sit upon the earth and every other nation and tribe and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear the Lord and give him honor, because the hour of his judgment is come, and adore ye him that made heaven and earth, the sea and the fountains of waters. This great angel flying through the heavens. It's interesting. Many people don't know this, uh, but I'm the executive director for the St. Vincent Ferrer Foundation, so I have a very special devotion to St. Vincent Ferrer. And in the papal bull where Pope Calixtus III canonized him in 1455, he called St. Vincent Ferrer the angel of the apocalypse, referring precisely to this passage in chapter 14. Okay, so this is part of the role that St. Vincent Ferrer was fulfilling in his life. Uh, interesting at that canonization, just as a side note, one of the things that they did is they took the cape, the Dominican cloak, off of St. Vincent Ferrer's body. He's been dead for about 20-some years at this point. And they put it on a corpse, and the person came back to life. That's the kind of miracle I like for canonizations. Let's take the cloak off of the dead, the saint, put it on the body, and let's see if they come back to life with the corpse. Now we know we got a bona fide saint in heaven. Uh, by the way, St. Vincent Ferrer had even predicted when Calixtus was just a priest, he heard one of his sermons, and Vincent Ferrer pulled him out of the crowd and said, you will be Pope one day, and you're going to be the one that canonizes me. He didn't quite use that language. It was, it was slightly more humble, but that was the meaning of his words. Um, and what you have here is the message of this angel, which is a message that St. Vincent Ferrer brought to his time, but it's a message we need for our times as well. And one of the reasons why we dedicated our foundation in his honor. Fear the Lord and give him honor. Adore him because his judgment has come. Adore him, giving him honor. That's what we do with the holy sacrifice of the Mass. Fearing the Lord. That's the first step of the spiritual life. That's the first step in wisdom. I've often remarked, I think our biggest problem today, we don't fear the Lord anymore. We really don't. It's why we commit so many sins. And it's why we look away and we allow sin in our families and all around us. Because we don't fear Him. We don't fear His judgment. We do not have sufficient fear of the Lord. And as Father just mentioned, think back to the words of Our Lady in the Magnificat, Luke 1.50. His mercy is to them that fear him. See, those who fear him with a holy fear, that gift of the Holy Ghost that he gives us a confirmation, it means we don't want to sin. We don't want to offend him. Largely, it should be because we love him so much. But we don't want to offend him. And we fear that, that, that holy fear that a child has for his loving father. Okay? That's to whom God is extending his mercy as a merciful father, to them that fear him. The very words of our Blessed Mother. And this is what Lent is about, to fear the Lord, to grow in that fear so that we will hate sin and want to turn away from sin. 
and instead give him more honor to adore him correctly. The climax of the message of Fatima now certainly came on the 13th of July, 1917. Obviously, this isn't the miracle of the sun, which confirms everything that was said on July 13th. And it really isn't even the vision of Tui that Father talked to us so much, which also is a summary and synthesis of the whole message. But the, th- but the three secrets were revealed on the 13th of July, 1917. And in the year 2000, part of the third secret, the vision was revealed to us. So hearken back to that. Sister Lucia wrote, At the left of Our Lady and a little above, we saw an angel with a flaming sword in his left hand, flashing it gave out flames that looked as though they would set the world on fire. So that should be the direct link taking you back to Apocalypse chapter 8. Don't think, think in images. It's very much the same image that Sister Lucia is given that St. John was given 2,000 years prior. But those flames died out in contact with the splendor that Our Lady radiated towards him from her right hand. So the angel pointing to the earth with his right hand cries out in a loud voice. Here think of the angel we just heard in the heaven going through with the eternal gospel saying, fear the Lord. Again, a very similar image now. This angel kind of connecting us with chapter 8 of the apocalypse and chapter 14. And so the angel cries out in a loud voice, penance, penance, penance. And then she says, and then we saw in an immense light that is God. And she continues with the vision and with the rest of the part of the third secret, which has yet to be revealed to us. So I'll stop right there. Uh, You can certainly read, most of you know about the vision with the Pope that is going to climb up the hill and is martyred and all the other Christians that are being martyred. Uh, So I think it's somewhat well known. But just to zero in again on what that angel was saying, the flames are coming down on the earth, the chastisement of God, penance, penance, penance. He has designs of mercy on us, but the mercy is for those that fear him, that honor him and adore him and keep his law that prepare themselves well. That's what Lent is about, and that's what Fatima is directing us towards. So, to conclude that first part, we could simply say the message of Fatima is very, very much a Lenten message. It's calling us to do penance. And the essence of penance is contrition of the soul and mortification of the body. Lent is a time to focus on that. We have to have that contrition in our soul to really be sorry of our sins, cry over our sins, really repent of them. But you have to mortify the body at the same time. Those two will go hand in hand. We'll elaborate that on in a minute. But the church's wisdom is saying, this is so important, this penance, that 40 days out of every single year of your life, you're going to dedicate it to that 40 days. That's a little bit over 10%. There's a connection there with the 10%. Uh, 40 days every Lent, we're supposed to be focusing on this penance. Now, Fatima's wisdom, really dovetailing on the church's wisdom, is in a sense calling us and saying, you know what? For a long time now, we have not been doing this penance. And that wrath of God is, is ready. That's why the angel is there. and Our lady is still trying to radiate and stop it. So we are living in a Lenten age. We should be living in a time of Lent. Our entire life needs to be taking on some very Lenten overtones. Well, all the more, we've got to sort of kick it into high gear this Lent and, and get that to keep us going. Just like the people of Nineveh, when Jonas came to them, right? They had to live a Lent. And they responded. So fire did not fall down from heaven. They were not destroyed the way Sodom and Gomorrah were. 
but you know, the question stands now for us, are we going to respond? Lent is a very special time of grace where the designs of God's mercy are sort of opened up even more. Think again to the vision of Tui that Father just talked to us about. And I would say, anyone who's familiar with military campaigns, like if you just think about the Civil War, there were times in the year where the military campaign sort of went into action. And then the winter would come, and it would get very cold, and so the armies would just settle down wherever they were, and then the springs would come, and you would start up with all the military campaigns again. So there are these time periods. That's how I liken it. It's sort of like Lent is that time where the spring is coming, and it's time to ramp up our military campaign and start getting a little bit more seriously, even though the spiritual battle is always going on. But if you know a little bit about the Civil War, there did come a point where the winter came and there was no cessation of hostilities. They just kept right on fighting because it was sort of a climactic crunch time. It was, you know, this is when Sherman was marching on towards Savannah, etc., and laying waste to Georgia, and, and they really wanted to just destroy, uh, decimate the South in order to try to win the war. Um, you have to ramp it up sometimes. And I'm saying this is what Fatima is calling us to do. It's time to ramp it up. And the Lent is not just the military campaign we can do in this particular season. We've got to use that and carry the momentum into the rest of our lives. That's what Fatima is calling us to do. And it's so sad because now, when we should be living a more intense Lent, it seems like everywhere around us, they're lessening the Lenten practices and disciplines. This is not a time to be doing that. This goes completely contrary to the message that Our Lady is bringing us at Fatima. Now there's, I mean, there's hardly any penance and fasting and abstinence. Even the most basic things have been reduced to a kind of minimalism. And people are still running around looking for exemptions for those things. We are not getting the message that God is giving us. If our problem right now is that we're not doing enough penance, and the angel is crying out penance, 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 fear the Lord, it seems like we should be ramping up our penances. So it means you're going to have to run your life counter, not just to what the world is doing, but really counter to what's going on amongst most of our Catholic friends. If we really want to be faithful here to the message of Fatima, to most of what is even taking place in our parishes. Because we've got to ramp up the penances. Lent is also a time of conversion. Conversion, the Latin word for that, converso, it just means to turn back towards. So averso, aversion, is to turn away from. You have an aversion from something, you turn away from it. Sin is basically making us have an aversion to God. In sin, we're turning away from God, turning away from Our Lady. Well, with the conversion, it means to turn back towards God. But if you're turning back towards God and Our Lady, you're obviously giving your back to sin. So that's what conversion is all about, being resolved to give up sin, to grieve for the sins that we have committed, to hate sin, to shun the occasions of sin, and to discipline our body, even chastising it as necessary. This is what conversion is about. And if we don't willingly do this of our own free will in the time of mercy that God is giving us because we fear Him, then the chastisement will come and we'll be forced to do it. It will fall upon us one way or the other. That is the logic of divine justice. So the merciful part is that right now the mercy is being extended. Who knows for how long? How long is Our Lady going to stop those flames that are radiating out from the flames of the sword of the angel? There will be a cleansing fire. I mean, history has taught us that. Time and time again, when the church has fallen into deep crisis and the world has fallen into deep crisis and immorality, uh, there is a cleansing fire. Sometimes it comes in the form of barbarian hordes that lay waste to Europe. Right? Other times it comes in a scourge that comes out of the Arabian desert 
and lays waste to all the different ancient seas that had fallen into heresy after heresy after heresy. Christological heresy of the first century is the Muslims. Lands that have never gone back to Christianity to this day. So, we want to focus on our prayer, our fasting, and our almsgiving, which are obviously the three traditional pillars of Lent, in order to engage in the spiritual battle, which is what Lent is. A battle against our three enemies, the enemies of our soul, the world, the flesh, and the devil. So we're going to look at a lot of different triplets here, keep up with those. We have one right here, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And obviously those correspond to the three pillars. When we give alms, you know, that is resisting the sins of the world. And when we fast, that is resisting the sins of the flesh. And when we do prayer, that's a way to resist the temptations of the devil and to turn ourselves to convert back to God. So we've got a time of more intense training and more grace available. And we have spiritual weapons to overcome sin, the sin that resides within ourselves. But we need to grow in virtue. And we need a plan. A plan that's got some general and specific points. The general points are provided by Holy Mother Church. We'll cover those. The specific points, I mean, I can give some suggestions, but those specific points, you really are going to have to tailor them for yourself. And I really encourage you to let our Lord and Our Lady guide you in your prayer in determining those specific points for yourself and for your family. But again, just to reemphasize this, we've got to have a plan. Who would go to battle, going back to the Civil War analogy we just brought up a minute ago, who would go into battle without a plan? I mean, if you go into battle without a plan, you're going to lose. You could even have superior weapons, but if you don't know where to place your armies and where he's got his armies placed and where the attack is best to take place, you want this hill because it gives you the high ground, etc., etc., you have no plan, it's over for you. But I mean, that's not just true in war, that's true in everything. I mean, take something as simple as a game of sports, right? The coach has got to come up with a plan for how they're going to play the other team and how his players are going to move and pass the ball. You have a business. You want it to grow. You need a plan, a business plan. How is it going to work? How am I going to market it? It doesn't matter what you do. I mean, you're cooking a meal. You need a plan. Go to the groceries. Get them. When you put things in the oven, anytime you're cooking, you know, timing is everything. If you don't cook it at the right time, it comes off off. You need a plan. So we know this. This is such common sense about all these things we're doing in our life. But then we come to our spiritual life, which is more important. And people don't seem to have a plan. Don't answer right now, but if I had to ask you, what's your spiritual plan that you're working on right now? You are in a battle. Believe you me, you're in a battle. What's your plan? How are you winning this battle? How are you growing? Ask a Catholic, what is your spiritual plan? And most of them go, huh? Plan? Like, what are you talking about? I don't even know what this is. That's a big problem. Okay, so that's the first thing we really have to correct. And Lent is a good time to start. So you're going to have to come up with a Lenten plan. If you want to have a good Lent and the best Lent you've ever had, you've got to come up with a plan. What's really nice is if you do come up with a plan, and year after year you come up with a plan, you can really start growing a lot. And just like we enjoy looking at photographs of our family, and we see how our children have grown, and it's neat to think back, oh, 10 years ago, my daughter looked like that, and we were doing this. You have these Lenten plans year after year, it's really neat to be able to look back at your Lenten plans and say, wow, seven years ago, this is what I was focusing on and how I was fighting. And five years ago, this is where I was at in my spiritual life. But who of us has our plans sort of cataloged in a folder the way we have other important documents of our life catalog that show our plan in other things? I used to have civil war plans. You can go look them up. And the battle for your soul is infinitely more important. So we need a plan. 
please make yourself a plan. If you haven't already, it's time to make that plan ASAP. Dom Guéranger, he's a great liturgist, great Benedictine. His liturgical year, like 20-some volume series, is a great one to read. In it, in talking about Lent, he tells us, during Lent, the church views her children as an immense army fighting day and night against their spiritual enemies. On Ash Wednesday, she calls Lent a Christian warfare. In order that we may have that newness of life, we must conquer our three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. We are fellow combatants with our Jesus, for he too submits to the triple temptation suggested to him by Satan in person. Therefore, we must have on our armor and watch unceasingly. Our age, our time, this great darkness is now one of Christian warfare in particular against these enemies. Sin is abounding, but grace will abound the more as we put these Lenten plans into action following the wisdom that Holy Mother Church has given us. So Lent is a time of preparation. And, and this is standard. Everybody needs a time of preparation. Our Lord took those 40 days to prepare. Moses and Elias had to fast for 40 days before they could see our Lord. Again, seeing that light who is God. Don Garanger again tells us, some of you will link this to Passion Tide because we still have vestiges of this in Passion Tide, but there was a liturgical practice where a ceremony, a large veil, a purple curtain, was placed between the choir and the altar so that neither clergy nor people could look upon the holy mysteries that were celebrated within the sanctuary during Lent. This was a great symbol of the penance to which the sinner ought to subject himself so as to merit the sight of the divine majesty before whose face he had committed so many outrages. So I mean, think about it. It's a very powerful liturgical symbol that once we go into Lent, I mean, now when we go into Passion Tide, if the churches are following a more traditional practice, they will veil the statues and other beautiful imagery that bring us such joy in our churches. During the last two weeks of Lent, they're veiled. But at this point in time, in this particular liturgical tradition, which was actually in existence in Notre Dame, Paris, up until the 1900s, they would drop a large purple curtain that would hide the divine mysteries during Lent. Basically reminding people, you've got to do penance. You want to see God? You want to see His glory? You've got to do penance. You've got to prepare yourselves. And so the angel comes with the three children. You're going to see our Blessed Mother. Jesus and Mary have designs of mercy for you, but you've got to learn penance. That's why He reprimands them. Pray and pray. Get down on your knees. Get a sense of the supernatural. You've got to pray and do penance. And that's the children in that training of preparation. So, same thing for us. We have got to prepare ourselves by doing this kind of penance. In many ways, I liken that veil which sort of blinds you to the diabolical disorientation that has descended upon us. There is a great veil before our eyes, sad to say, and many of us don't see God's glory. In some ways, I would even say that the new Mass, the Novus Ordo, is part of that great veil, where we are not seeing God's glory in its resplendent manner the way we can in the Latin Mass. That's a huge part. And if we don't accept this penance, this veil, voluntarily, then God forces that veil upon us. Because of our sin, we can't get near Him. Because we don't fear the Lord, how can He extend His mercy to us? That's the inexorable reality of our sinfulness and His holiness. 
So we don't want it to be forced upon us. We want to take advantage of the mercy and do our penance. We want to see the removal of that veil, the removal of that diabolical disorientation, the consecration of Russia by the Holy Father in union with the bishops. We want to see that triumph. We want to see that Easter resurrection. We certainly want to see the Easter resurrection at the end of Lent, but we also want to see it because our Blessed Mother is talking about this great, glorious triumph of the Catholic Church, an age of Mary where the world will experience peace as she has prophesied. That's all foreshadowed by that lifting of the veil and the diabolical disorientation being lifted off. So that's what we're fighting for. And that's why this is important. The message of Fatima, most important message for our time. Light shining down on us, but explaining to us the natural, co-naturality it has with Lent. Here very briefly, because in the past I've given much longer talks on just this, so we, we won't spend too much time on it. But it helps me, and I hope it helps you, really I would say understand the dynamic of sin so that we can embrace the antidote that Christ has given us. And so we'll throw a lot of threes out there. If we want to understand the dynamic of sin, I think it helps to go back to the original sin. Right? And so we look at creation, those very first words of sacred scripture, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The earth was void and empty. Darkness was upon the face of the deep and the spirit of God moved over the waters and God said, be light made. And light was made. Again, the importance of light is a theme that is running through these talks. But there you see the Father, God creating. You see the Son, because God speaks. And we know that the Son is the word of the Father. And then the Spirit is hovering over the waters. So there's our first three. His Father talked about the great mystery of the Holy Trinity. And then God creates man to his own image. To the image of God, he creates him. Male and female, he creates them. God blesses them, saying, increase and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. So you have man and woman, and they form a family. There's your next threes, man, woman, and family. And how does he form them? As we know, he first forms Adam. Okay? And he breathes into Adam to give him his soul. There's the first one, man himself. His body from the lump of the earth and his soul that God has breathed into him. And then Adam obviously has a relationship with creation, but he realizes he's all alone. He needs the other. He needs the woman. So God will cast him into that deep sleep, take his rib, and form the woman out. Now Adam has a relationship, of course, within himself, with God, his creator, and with his wife, the other human being. So these three very important relationships with God, with others, and within your own self. And everything is created in this wonderful harmony in original creation. But then comes sin. And the serpent said to the woman, No, you shall not die the death. For God doth know that in what day soever you shall eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And the woman saw that the tree was good to eat, and fair to the eyes, and delightful to behold. Okay, here's this triple temptation. Good to eat. That's all about the flesh. That's all about gluttony. Okay, that's why we fast. Fair to the eyes. What you see, how you see others. Greed is at the heart of that. Wanting it for yourself, the good things that you see, and not for others. Relationship with others, relationship with self, delightful to behold. Ultimately, there's only one thing alone that should be delightful to behold, and that is God Himself. So here's where Eve messes up. Eve should have said, no, God is delightful to behold, and not this tree. There's that relationship with God that she's going to succumb to. There's that pride of the devil rearing its ugly head. So we see the triple temptation right there. She took the fruit thereof, and she did eat, and she gave to her husband who did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, 
And, then, and when they perceived themselves to be naked, they sewed together fig leaves and made themselves apron. And when they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in paradise at the afternoon air, Adam and his wife hid themselves from the face of God. They no longer want to see him. They no longer want to be in his light. She took and ate it. Again, that's gluttony. That's the lust. That's the sloth. Those are all the problems that we have within ourselves. Then they realize their nakedness, the nakedness of the other. Here are all the problems with the other. Going back to our capital sins, greed, envy, and anger. Greed, when I want it for me and not for the other. Envy, when good things happen to the other one, and I'm like, that shouldn't have happened to them. That should just happen to me. Why do they get these good things? That's your envy. Anger. Oh, they've done an injustice to me. I don't deserve that. And so I get all angry. Okay, because of my problems with others. And then they hide from God. This is where their pride leads them. Instead of looking upon God, who is delightful to behold, and turning to God in prayer, they fall back on pride. And that destroys the relationship with God. And so we see here in the dynamic of sin, all of those relationships with God, within your own self, and with others, are being ruptured and are being destroyed. And we get these seven capital sins that are coming up. And so, in her wisdom, what does Holy, Church, Holy Mother Church do? She gives us the antidote. This is why we have fasting, almsgiving, and prayer. Because fasting is going to fight gluttony, lust, and slothfulness. It's trying to reorient in God's right order the relationship we have of our own self, body and soul, mind and will, the integral human being. Almsgiving, to give of my own things and my own bounty and things I have to others. So to heal the relationship that is being created with others, to attack that greed, envy, and anger, and minimize it. No longer, well, what do I deserve? But rather, what can I give others? And then, of course, prayer. As our Lord says, not my will, but thy will be done. I mean, that's really why we're praying. To, to, to subdue our pride, so we can put ourselves in harmony with God's will. And so, really, in a word, you could say the dynamic of sin in these seven capital sins is selfishness. It's putting myself first. And therefore, the antidote is selflessness. This disinterested and detached love, charity, divine charity, that God comes to give us and to teach us. And see, that's what fasting and almsgiving and prayer are really supposed to be focused on. Teaching us selflessness, teaching us true love and true charity. Not to seek the good for myself, but to seek the good for the other, no matter the sacrifice and the cost to myself. Back to that theme of sacrifice, which is so Lenten. And that helps me because there are times when I'm having a fast and I'm hungry and there are crackers in the pantry and there's a banana over there and whatever else it might be. And I'm like, oh, come on. Like, what's the big deal? Can't I just eat this banana? Maybe it'll count as a snack or something. You know, we rationalize all these things away. But what helps me so much is to go back and remember this scheme and to remember why I'm doing this and to remind myself, but this is the antidote to my sin. And I may not get it all, but I have that sense of the supernatural and the wisdom of the church. And I know that every time I apply myself into one of these practices of penance, of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, that I am fighting sin. And I want to offer it up as a sacrifice, which Our Lady of Fatima is calling us to do, to win graces to repair the damage my sins have done and gain the conversions of others. And you do that through that fasting, almsgiving, and prayer. That's that great mercy of God being extended. And what it is doing is it's killing our selfishness. That's what Lent is about. 
And that's what the message of Fatima is ultimately about. And that's why the world is in such a mess, because they don't want to hear this message. Because as Father Isaac was talking about, it's the cross. In his sermon today, no one wants to go after, no, we run from the cross. We're afraid of it. It scandalizes us. It's hard. But with God, the grace will be there. So, we have the general outline of our Lenten plan. It has been provided by God through Holy Mother Church. We wish to restrain selfishness by the sacrifice of ourself. And that way we are reversing sin with love. We're reversing death with life, which is what Christ shows us upon the cross. Penance, that is fasting, prayer, and almsgiving, is what undoes sin. And so in our plan for Lent, you want to make sure you're including elements of each of these. Fasting, almsgiving, and prayer, because those are combating the seven capital vices. The goal, of course, of Lent is to grow in virtue and combat vice. So often a Lent will come, and we do some things, and Lent is over, and we sort of go back to how things were before. Uh, I'm certainly all in favor of giving up sweets and giving up alcohol and giving up all these extra things that we should give up during Lent. It is a time of penance. We should be doing that. And some of those things we do go back to because there's nothing necessarily inherently evil in you know, having a bowl of ice cream maybe after your dinner one day. But Lent should also bring about some change in us that is lasting. And every single Lent should be bringing about a lasting change. You should be a different person after that Lent. That's a way to evaluate. So part of your plan has really got to zero in on that. Yes, I'm going to do some of these standard Catholic practices that we all do during Lent. Certainly the ones the church prescribes, like the fasting and not eating the meat on Fridays, uh, and only eating meat once during the different, one meal during Lent, and only having one meal a day so we can fast. Um, Those are all very important. But we also want to come up with some specific things for us and where we see, what are my vices? What's my dominant fault? What is leading me to sin again and again and again? What, what causes me to sin very easily? Okay, that's your dominant fault. You've got to analyze that. That's got to be part of your plan because that's one of your main enemies. That's one of the ways the devil keeps getting through the wall of your castle, of your soul, and attacking you and making you fall. And then you've got to start working on the vice, the virtues that are contrary to that vice. And that's part of your Lenten plan. So that's really what you have to sit and discern. We've heard a lot of talks already about mental prayer. Kevin was talking about it. Father was talking about it this morning. Uh, mental prayer is going to be one of the ideal ways for you to discern how God is calling you to put your Lenten plan into effect. To consider your dominant vice. To consider virtues, little ways that you can grow and fight against it. So you're going to have to fill in those specifics for your Lenten plan. What I definitely suggest, though, is to be concrete and specific Don't just be ambiguous. Don't just say, well, I'm going to be nicer to people. That's really ambiguous. That's really general. You don't really know what that means. And you don't know how to check it and gauge it. So you've got to be concrete and write things down. Specific things that you can track and even evaluate. A little story here. So as I was preparing for this talk, of course, I had to do this. And so, you know, went, did prayer, discerned, came back, got the family together, got all the kids together. Said, okay, this is our Lenten plan for this year. And so we talked it through, and each one of my daughters, the old ones that can actually talk and think, not the little ones, you know, they got their sheet of paper, and we made just a spreadsheet. And then we wrote prayer, and we wrote fasting, and we wrote almsgiving, and we drew lines with rulers, and we put all the days of Lent, it takes several pages, and then we talked about the different things that they're going to do for prayer, and the different things they're going to do for doing alms, extra chores they're going to do on the house, and the different things they're going to do in terms of the fasting. 
And they've all got their chart. And then we talked about the virtues that each one needed to grow. And obviously each child is different. So they each need different virtues to grow. And then I need some different virtues to grow in as well. So we all have our different charts. And we have different ways that we're going to be working on that virtue. Ways that we often fall. Maybe this one snaps at the sister too often. Maybe this one, you know, responds in anger or doesn't want to do the difficult chore. Whatever it might be. I mean, we all have these little foibles and faults that we've got to work on. And now they have a plan and they have a chart. And every day they're going to be checking off what they did. And if they did lots of sacrifices, for example, for the Pope or sacrifices for this person, they're putting more check marks in their box. And they've got a way to evaluate and match their progress and find out if they're having a fruitful Lent where they're really exerting themselves. And after we were done with all that, they were talking to my wife about it. And, and I wasn't around, and my wife tells me, you know, all of the girls are really excited about Lent. They want Lent to start tomorrow because they've got a plan. They're excited about it. And this can happen. See, once you have a plan, you can be a lot more excited because you're rearing to go. You know, you've had all this thought. You're ready to put in a plan, and, and you want to see how it's going to succeed. And you're obviously going to be able to go to confession and do good confessions because you've got your plan marked out, how well you've been keeping track of it. And again, these are the kinds of things that you can really grow on year after year, you know, following your plan. Next year, you could even pull out the old plan. How did I do? What did I do? How can I build on that? And you can really start having a spiritual plan by which you're progressing in holiness, which is what God is asking of us, which is what the angel is coming and saying, penance, penance, penance. And so too with the message of Fatima, we have these general guidelines, but Our Lady is also giving us specifics. I would say the general guidelines are penance, 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 prayer, reparation, conversion. And his father said a specific consecration, consecration to the Immaculate Heart of Our Lady. Uh, Those words are all linking us very closely to a Lenten age. She is providing a plan for our apocalyptic-like times. I'm not saying it's the apocalypse. I actually don't think we're yet there. That's my personal opinion. Largely because I know there's an age of Mary that needs to come. She's promised that, an age of peace. So no matter how bad things are getting right now, and I think they're going to get worse, we are going to come out of this and have a glorious triumph of the Catholic Church, the likes of which history has probably never seen. So an age of Mary is coming. She's promised that. So we're in apocalyptic-like times. That's why we get directed to chapters 8 through 13 of the book of the apocalypse. But she's providing a plan for that. Again, grace is abounding. As for the specifics, I think Our Lady provides some of those specifics herself. In her first apparition, she told the children, Do you want to offer yourselves to God and to endure all the sufferings that he may choose to send you as an act of reparation for the sins by which he is offended and as a supplication for the conversion of sinners? And of course, the children say yes. And she responds, then you are going to suffer a great deal, but the grace of God will be your comfort. Say the rosary every day to bring peace to the world and the end of the war. So we have a lot of specifics there. All these words that tie us into Lent and the Mass, offer yourself reparation, sacrifices, conversion, sufferings. And that's what we're supposed to accepting all the little sufferings. I mean, that can be part of your Lenten plan. I'm going to accept whatever little sufferings come my way. You know, for example, you know, you're sitting at the conference table at dinner and you've got the spot where the leg of the table is sticking into your own leg and it hurts and it bothers you. Little inconvenience. Blessed be God. And you accept it as a little sacrifice. You get back to your chart, check it off. Hey, I did one today. Didn't even tell anyone. I just praised God that the leg, the leg of the table was sticking into me and no one else. 
I mean, there are little things like that all day long. And we can be getting... And, and then the great thing is you can gain merit for this. And you can be winning grace for the conversion of sinners. Someone in your family, maybe yourself. Someone needs those graces. But we've got to be winning them. And of course, saying our rosary every day. It's best to say it as a family. Um, if you're not with a family, maybe you're with a community. But, but say the rosary every day, one way or the other. I tell people, if Our Lady appeared to you tomorrow as you woke up there in your bedroom... And she told you, I want you to say the rosary every day. What would you do? I sure hope you would respond and say, okay, blessed mother, I'm going to say the rosary every day. You've appeared to me and you've told me that. Well, I mean, she has done that. She really has. She's appeared there and she's told the whole world, I want you to say the rosary every day. But we kind of go along with our own business and so many Catholics don't even know this. And so many aren't praying the rosary every day. This is where grace is abounding the more. The rosary has more power now, Sister Lucia tells us, than it's ever had before by God's mercy. Because he wants us to say the rosary. That in that second apparition, she told him, He wants to establish the devotion to my Immaculate Heart in the world. I promise salvation to those who embrace it. And their souls will be loved by God as flowers placed by myself to adorn his throne. I mean, what a beautiful image to be a flower that Our Lady herself places to adorn God's throne. What, what could be better than that? And Our Lady saying that's what she's going to do for us if we're devoted to her Immaculate Heart. So we want to grow in our devotion to the Immaculate Heart. That's one of the specific graces for our time that God wants revealed. So much of the message of Fatima is that this is the antidote. It's not this time the poverty of St. Francis or the preaching of St. Dominic or the intelligence of the Jesuits and their fidelity to the Pope. It is devotion to the Immaculate Heart. The devil has ramped up his spiritual battle and God has ramped up His graces. Now it's the Immaculate Heart of Mary. I mean, there, there is nothing greater, really, than, than God can give us. I mean, He gives us Himself in the Eucharist, but in some ways, He treasures that Immaculate Heart of His Mother even more. In the third apparition, she then tells us, sacrifice yourself for sinners. And say often, especially when you make some sacrifice, Oh, my Jesus, it is for love of Thee, for the conversion of sinners, and in reparation for the sins committed against the Immaculate Heart of Mary, that I offer thee this sacrifice. That is a prayer all of us should memorize. I mean, I would encourage you, make that part of your Lenten plan if you don't have that prayer memorized. Okay, but that is the light of Fatima, shedding, things on, uh, shedding light on how we can sanctify our family. Every time you do one of these little penances, back to that little example, the leg of the table was sticking into you and it was uncomfortable. And so you say, oh my Jesus, it's for love of thee that I do this. For the conversion of sinners and reparation for the Immaculate Heart of Mary. There are so many little inconveniences, little sufferings that aren't that big a deal that are happening to us all the time. And we are losing opportunities to win grace if we don't respond with these kinds of prayers. So we want to have these prayers memorized. We want to say them. You know, chart it. How many times are you saying it every day? Little sacrifices that you're offering. is specifically because you love our Lord. Because you want the conversion of sinners. And because you want to get those sins repaired against the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Again, there you see the triple. With myself, because I should be loving God, and all disorder comes when I don't love God first, love of Jesus. With others, that's why I'm doing it for the conversion of sinners, and relate, putting my right relationship with God. What has He commanded me? He wants devotion to the Immaculate Heart right now. That is what is going to bring much pleasure to God, and what He wants our world to do. So we're obeying God in that also. I shall come to ask, or that He continued, for the consecration of Russia to my Immaculate Heart and the communion of reparation on the first Saturdays. If they heed my requests, Russia will be converted and there will be peace. 
If not, she shall spread her errors throughout the world, promoting wars and persecutions of the church. The good will be martyred. Holy Father will have much to suffer. Various nations will be annihilated. We know how the message continues. So what does she come to ask for? The communion of reparation on the first five Saturdays. Really, every first Saturday, including yesterday. So every first Saturday, try and do that reparation, the five things. They've talked about them already in the conference, right? But you want to make sure you've gone to confession so you're in a state of grace, certainly within eight days of the first Saturday. You want to make sure you say your rosary. You want to do that 15-minute meditation on the life of our Lord and Our Lady and the mysteries of the rosary. You want to assist at Mass. You want to receive Holy Communion, offering it specifically in reparation for sins against the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Last part, very quickly, the light of Fatima is also shining directly upon the family. I, I see five very clear and distinct ways that the light of Fatima is shining on the family. The first is simply the seers that they chose, three children. One of them, brother and sister, and cousin with the other one. And their families play an important role in what they're doing. I mean, two of them die while they're still children, still very much entrenched in that family life. And there's no other apparition, to my knowledge, where a lady appears to some group like that that are so tightly bonded by these family ties and then die as young children still in their families. So the very selection of the seers places a great emphasis on the family. And then there's a tremendous emphasis in the message of Fatima on the Pope, the Papa, the father of our family, our Christian family, the mystical body of Christ, the church. So that's in a little bit more of a global sense of the family, and there's a lot of dimensions for that, but let's not forget that angle of how it's connected to the family of Christ, his mystical body, the church. Then also, the role of St. Joseph, which we've heard about this conference and talked about. So, during the miracle of the sun, Sister Lucia receives a vision, a vision really that corresponds to the three different missets of the mysteries of the rosary. But in the first one that corresponds to the joyful, she saw St. Joseph, our Lord and Our Lady, the Holy Family, up in the heavens. And St. Joseph and Our Lord bless the whole world. I mean, the, the Holy Family was right there at the very message of Fatima at the heart when it was being proven by the miracle of the Son. There was St. Joseph, Blessed Mother, Child Jesus, the Holy Family. So again, Fatima directing us very much to the family. And if that's not enough, you have it very explicitly because Sister Lucia explained, as many of you might know following the news, that the final battle would be over marriage and family. So Cardinal Caffaro, when he was still, he's since passed away, uh, but when he was Bishop of Bologna, and he later on became in charge of the Pontifical Council of the Family, he actually just wrote Sister Lucia a letter, never expected a response, and was surprised when she wrote back to him. And one of the things she wrote in that letter, he testified to this in an interview he gave back in 2008, so Cardinal Caffaro said that Sister Lucia wrote, the final battle between the Lord and the reign of Satan will be about marriage and the family. Don't be afraid, because anyone who operates for the sanctity of marriage and the family will always be contended and opposed in every way. Because this is the decisive issue. However, Our Lady has already crushed his head. So we know that the message of Fatima is all about the family and marriage and the attack on marriage and the family, because Sister Lucia herself is telling us this. And look to at the penance that our Lord is asking of each one of us. Because in reality... It's not that rigorous. Again, God's mercy is so great right now. He's really just asking us to offer sacrifices as we observe his law and fulfill the duties of our state in life. In a letter that was dated the 28th of February, 1943, to the Bishop of Gurza, who was her principal spiritual director, Sister Lucia wrote the following. And he then went ahead and spread it among the episcopates of Spain and Portugal. This is what she wrote. The good Lord will allow himself to be appeased. 
but he complains bitterly and sadly about the very limited number of souls in the state of grace disposed to deny themselves according to what the observance of his law requires of them. Lent, penance, people in the state of grace, but they're not disposed to deny themselves. And he's complaining bitterly about that. He could be appeased. Here is the true penance which the good Lord requests today. The sacrifice which everyone must impose upon himself is to lead a life of justice in the observance of his law. That's it. He's saying the sacrifice is what we should all be doing. Lead a life of justice. Observe his law. Because of that diabolical disorientation, sometimes it's so hard to find his law. By the way, his law includes worshiping the way he has revealed. He's revealed it in that traditional Latin mass, not in something the humans created in the 60s. And he desires that this law be clearly made known to souls, which is not happening these days, For many give to the word penance the sense of great austerities. And as they feel neither the strength nor the generosity for that, they get discouraged. And they let themselves go into a life of lukewarmness and sin. Our Lord told me, the penance that I request and require now is the sacrifice demanded of everybody by the accomplishment of his own duty and the observance of my law. So, Keep his law, which everyone has to do, and do your duty. The state of duty in your life. For most of us who are in a family, that means the state of duty of, if I'm a father, or a mother, or a child. And that's the penance our Lord is really asking. So when you're doing your duty, and you're following his commandments, say that little prayer. Offer it all up. This is the penance he's asking for. It's actually not that rigorous. Again, it's his great mercy. I think in some ways maybe it is a little rigorous and the reason he's made it so easy in a sense for our times is because there is such confusion and because his law is not being explained and it's not being taught. So although it is very basic and rudimentary, in another way it isn't because there's so much confusion about it. But we've got to, that's why study the faith and learn the faith. And you've got to just follow his laws, observe his commandments, teach his commandments to others and do the duties of your state and life in your family. That's what he's asking. It's not that hard. Penance, penance, penance though. So you've got to sit down and you've really got to discern what you're going to put into your plan. How much you put in is what you get out. You've got to take it to prayer and ask God, how am I structuring this plan? I now know the general plan. I can start putting in some specifics, you know, all kinds of specifics you can put in, like giving up the sweets, no alcohol, any kind of expensive food. If anything that's really unnecessary, you can get rid of. Church tradition also tells us during Lent, Christians often gave up conjugal relations. That was a pretty standard thing. In entertainment, you know, you give up movies, you give up TV, you give up music, you give up the internet, time on the computer, okay? Uh, Wake up early, do the meditations that they've been talking about in the conferences, study the faith, study the message of Fatima, take your meals in silence as a family, encourage your children to do meals in silence. There's a lot of fruit from that. Or also put on a sermon, maybe while you're driving in the car, taking the family here, taking them there, or eating your meals. A lot of sermons we've got on the internet, very good sermons by these great priests. Listen to some of these sermons. Have a program. Put that on your little spreadsheet. Going to listen to a sermon every day. And when you do, you check it out. Going to have one meal in silence. Check it off. Going to do my meditation. You check it off. Any little inconvenience offers a small discomfort. Check it off. You know, what the specific things you, you need to do, especially to combat your vices, you need to fill in. You know your children and your family better, 
But you've got to put that plan together. Fathers, you've got to take a lead in this. You've got to sit down with your family, and you've got to help them. You've got to make sure everyone's got a plan. Of course, you start by making your own plan. So you're specific, you're concrete, you write it down so you can evaluate, you can check it off, you can chart it, you can go back to it years later. Maybe patience, silence, fortitude, meekness are some of the virtues you need to work on. Charity, kindness in your words, no backbiting, getting rid of laziness or apathy in prayer. I mean, there's all kinds of things you can work on. Don't tackle them all at once. That's the other thing. Be very specific and pick some things you're going to do and you're really going to do. Don't try to take on the whole world at once. God willing, in his mercy, he'll give you a few more lengths to keep working on this. But attack your vices. Try and grow in virtue. Don't let Lent pass you by because time is too short. Heads of the family, guide your spouses, guide your children in a plan. Remember, Christ desires everyone knows his law. I mean, for you fathers, you've got to make sure everyone in your family knows God's law. He's upset that people are not learning his law and therefore they can't observe it. Have family components to the plan. Maybe together you're doing spiritual reading or you're praying the family rosary together. You're having that silence. You're going to Mass together. And obviously, I would say, let the light of Fatima guide your plan. We've learned a lot about Fatima. Keep learning about it. Uh, we know we have to be living this Lent. Um, we have to offer prayers and penances for the Pope. We really do. You know, that's one of our things on our chart. All the sacrifices I'm offering for the Pope. And do some sacrifices every day for the Holy Father. He needs much prayer. Pray the rosary every single day. Make reparations to the Immaculate Heart. You know, when you offer alms, do it in her name. When you offer sacrifices, do it in her name. If you're not eating so much food, you might save a little money. You can turn around and offer that as alms. If you're not spending so much time with the computer, you opened up a little time to do a little more prayer. So there's a good way to balance that out. That's why we're giving these things up. We are freeing ourselves from the detachments of the world, the things that have got us chained down, so that our mind can be elevated up to God during Lent. And I even thought, this might be hard for some people, may not be doable, but... Why not do that first Saturday devotion every day of Lent? It's not that hard. In some ways, it's sort of standard. I mean, you go to confession, go every two weeks. You got the confession part covered because you'll always be in the state of grace and you'll always be within eight days. Then you got to pray the rosary each day, but I mean, we really are supposed to be doing that already. Do your 15-minute meditation every day, but I mean, Father, as I told us, none of us agree on holiness if we're not doing meditation. He even said 15 minutes was too little. So clearly you can do 15 minutes, right? You got to do more. But 15 minutes, go to confession, we already said that, and then can you make it to Holy Mass? That might be the hard part for a lot of people who live far away from a Mass, and they just can't make it every day. But go as often as you can. You know, then you can chart it. Well, I made it two times out of the week, or you know, one more time other than Sunday. And then you receive Holy Communion and offer that up in reparation. I mean, we could turn our whole Lent into a first Saturday. What graces that would win for us, and what pleasure that would bring to our Lord that we're doing that kind of reparation to the Immaculate Heart of His Mother. Hopefully with this, you've, you've got a lot of ideas, and you can take it back. You can pray about it, discern with our Lord. What is your plan for Lent? How are you going to keep track of it? And how will you help your family so they can be sanctified as well? Perhaps for some of you, coming to this conference was a sacrifice. You had to spend some money, you had to spend some time. Perhaps listening to this talk has been a little bit of a sacrifice. I don't know. But if it is, and I'm sure some sacrifices are entailed in coming to the conference, let's offer those up all right now in conclusion with that prayer that Our Lady taught us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. O my Jesus, it is for love of Thee, for the conversion of sinners, and in reparation for the sins committed against the Immaculate Heart of Mary, that I offer this sacrifice to Thee. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.
We hope you have enjoyed this presentation brought to you by the Fatima Center. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. We invite you to visit our website, www.fatima.org. Immaculate Heart of Mary, Ora Pro Nobis.